Hello, welcome to Biobased Radio, a podcast promoting a more sustainable future through conversations with industry, university, and environmentalists. Today, our host, Denny Hall, is talking about sustainable materials with Debbie Molesky, technical leader of plastics research at the Ford Motor Company. They'll talk about zero-waste production plants, using dandelions to make rubber, and Henry Ford's soy plastic car. So it is our real pleasure today on Biobased Radio to be talking with Debbie Molesky from Ford Motor Company and about the, the various kinds of sustainable materials that are being used by Ford vehicles uh, around the world. And uh, so, Debbie, to start off with, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where, where are you from? Uh, what did you study in college? And, and how did you find yourself uh, now here at Ford Motor Company? Okay, well, I um, was born and raised in Detroit, in Detroit metro area. I headed off to the University of Michigan after high school to study first chemistry, and then a year later switched to chemical engineering. Um, graduated with a bachelor's degree in 86 from the chemical engineering department and started my first job at Ford Motor Company in their research effort and um, fell in love with the idea of developing, researching and developing brand new materials for cars. And early in my career, went back to school while maintaining my job to get a master's degree and a PhD in chemical engineering. And when my mentors, who were fabulous, famous scientists, uh, retired, then I took over the helm in the plastics research group. And is that your current responsibility? Well, I took the plastic research group and um, turned it into the sustainable materials research group. And mostly that was a personality issue. I really had a difficult time with what was happening with plastics in the environment, um, landfills filling up the oceans, collecting plastic. And so, so I decided to take the wonderful job that I had at Ford and focus it on um, improving the environmental footprint when using plastic. So I feel very fortunate to ha- have been able to create the job and I have an enormous amount of passion for it. So the last 20 years, we have been focused on things like soy foam, wheat straw, composites, and so many other environmental um, efforts to make plastic less of a problem for the earth. Yeah, well, for those of us here at Biobased Radio, we're very fortunate that you had that vision and, and direction and drive to make that, those kinds of changes. Uh, so to what degree then do you contribute to the overall Ford sustainability plan? Well, it's been a growing sort of contribution. Initially, I was most of my time in the laboratory trying to um, generate a host of sustainable materials and really putting the first ones ever, well, beyond Henry Ford, and we can talk about that effort, but in in my uh, tenure here, the first ones that had been in automotive for a very long time. And so as we um, sort of trickled these into vehicles and discovered that people actually valued it, um, that I had a lot of um, champions within the company to do that. 
I've become more and more involved with our world headquarters team to look at what is our overall strategy within the company. And in in 2019, we plan to um, have public strategy that we're going to release on sustainable materials. Oh, well, we may have to get you back then again after that comes out. Yeah, yeah, that will be that will be something else. Uh, I mean, it really feels like we've made a lot of progress and a lot of people are believing that this these are the future materials for automotive. Oh, that's so cool. So, um, Debbie, you brought up Henry Ford. And so some of us are familiar with the soy plastic car that Henry and crew came up with. Tell us a little bit about the legacy of bio-based materials there at Ford Motor Company. So it's pretty funny. I was pretty naive and pretty young when we started on the effort 20 years ago, and I had no idea that Henry Ford had explored these bio-based materials. When we launched Soy Foam on the Mustang, it was in um, 2007, uh, late 2007 for the 2008 Mustang, the phone started ringing off the hook and people were constantly saying, did you know Henry Ford? Tell us about Henry Ford. And I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I better go look up what Henry Ford did. And so, um, you know, looking at what Henry Ford did, he used soy, he brought the soybeans to the Midwest himself. He encouraged farmers to grow soybeans. He also provided a market for soybean oil. And so there was a, a little known soybean oil processing plant at the Rouge facility, and he used to squeeze soybean oil and hydroxylate it just like companies do today for soy-based foam. And so he was using it for bio-based plastics, for fenders, for deck lids, and he would demonstrate. So there was a vehicle that he used to drive around and appeared at like state uh, fair events. There was an event in Michigan called Dearborn Days where he would take a sledgehammer and try to dent the soy plastic and he would show the advantage of that plastic in rebounding versus a steel fender. Um, so he really had this vision about farming, agriculture, and industry working together, buying each other's products. And I think that vision is something that we think is of value today. And so he had wheat straw in steering wheels. Uh, he tried to utilize any sort of a side crop and um, help farmers generate revenue. So from your perspective, I, I've heard this story many times. Why do you think uh, the industry went away from that? He was working on this in the early 40s, and after World War II was over, petroleum prices plummeted. And so it became difficult to compete. And every time uh, petroleum prices go down, people forget at what it's like when they're high. And so the, when the prices went down, oil was plentiful after the war. Henry Ford was getting very old, and he died shortly after that. I think that's when the whole um, idea was sort of put to the rest. Yeah. So that's nothing new, is it? You know, those oil prices have a tendency to go up and down, and as does soy prices. And so at some point in time, we have to acknowledge or decide that we value enough uh, a more sustainable material. And that certainly wasn't part of the vernacular back in those days. But today, it really is important as we think about issues related to climate change, plastics in the environment, 
you know, all of these kinds of issues that you talk about as being important to you. And, and so hopefully, you know, we're, the technology is developing enough that we can actually uh, be cost competitive when it comes to the use of bio-based materials and not always happen to be second fiddle to petroleum. Yes, and actually, as we get more and more experienced, and I still think we're in our infancy here, we have nine bio-based materials on Ford vehicles today, and I, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of components and vehicle lines and lots and lots of work to do. Most of our bio-based products are only partially bio-based, so we can go back as technology develops and add bio-content to them. We could be at this forever. But one of the points I wanted to make is as we get more and more experience, we find out that there are some incredible things about these new materials. Some of them are better at energy absorption. So you can imagine improving safety with a natural fiber versus a glass fiber component. They're lighter in weight. So they, again, with natural fibers, they improve fuel efficiency. If you start to replace enough glass fiber components or calcium components with a natural fiber, um, they support the ag community. A lot of side products of agriculture are burned in the field, so generate CO2 with no value to society. My list of advantages to bio-based or uh, natural fiber composites gets longer all the time. And, and then there's so many amazing technologies emerging through synthetic biology and, and, and our ability to... Um, really kind of design molecules, if you will, from uh, through a plant or via microbial activity, that the, the, the possibilities just seem enormous. Yeah, so we're looking at a lot of fermentation uh, products to synthesize our own polymers for, to meet our own needs. We're looking at carbon dioxide-based polymers. So instead of, imagine at the auto plant while you're assembling and you're generating CO2, don't release it into the atmosphere. Use it to, as building blocks for the next set of vehicles. There's so many different choices, and, and people always talk about, well, which one do you think is going to win? I think there's a place for all of them on the car, and we could optimize um, where we place them based on their mechanical performance, the, the structure of the molecule, and we can develop the same sort of set of material that we did for traditional petroleum-based plastic for specifically for agricultural and bio-based plastic. Yeah. Well, we're going to come back to talking about these materials. You've rattled off a bunch of them already, but we might probe a little deeper on several of those. Before we do that, uh, can you comment a little bit on the, the overall sustainability vision that's there at Ford. I mean, so obviously materials is a part of it, but, um, you know, there are many components to the Ford sustainability plan. Do you want to take a stab at that? Yeah. I mean, it's not my, my uh, expertise is really in the materials realm, but I know that we're very, very committed to managing water within our processes and to return every bit of water that we use in our plants cleaner than we took it and in the same quantities. So we have a water strategy that is very uh, ambitious. 
we are looking at our supply base and trying to help them manage their use of energy with audits and with help on how they can decrease the use of energy to manufacture our parts. We're very committed also to um, sustainability within the human realm. So people that work for us in our supply chain directly and uh, tier two, tier three, tier four, making sure that they make a living wage and that their conditions for work are meet standards that we have agreed to. So yeah, sustainability. And then, you know, fuel economy standards, we're trying to reduce our footprint on the planet, committed to a lot of battery vehicles coming up in the future. So it's kind of a holistic strategy and the materials are just the one that the customer is sitting on and touching and experiencing the most within that realm. Yeah, super. And you'd also mentioned uh, already like carbon dioxide emissions, reducing that. Yeah, so we have many, um, our plants have uh, lots of solar farms associated with them. Um, We're looking at wind power. Anywhere that we can reduce our impact on the planet, it is a high priority for our company. And every year we put out a sustainability report um, that is public and that goes directly to our investors. And it reports to them exactly what progress we've made in that year. So um, next year is the 20th year of our sustainability report. And we have some pretty big implementations in the biomaterials realm to report people. So we're pretty excited about it. Yes. Love it. Um, The other thing I want to mention is uh, zero waste. Many of your production plants have uh, gone to a zero waste vision. Yes, and there's so many ways we can close the loop. It's it's as if, you know, all of us have ignored the waste that's produced in plants and in other industries' plants for so many years. We're, our group is working with many different industries to look at what sort of waste they generate, and I really think um, one man's uh, garbage is another man's treasure and that we can close the loop by exchanging waste products and using them in other industries. I remember thinking about the old fable Rumpelstiltskin and turning straw into gold, and and probably no one does that better than Ford Motor Company. <laughs> well, we're we're certainly interested in doing it, and we've had some success. So we're true believers that these things work. Okay, so let's go back to that Ford Mustang and the soy foam, and uh, because you guys have since now been. Since that came out, I think it's in all of your vehicles now, correct? Soy foam seats? Everything built in North America has soy foam seat cushions, backs, and headrests. And then there's other vehicles that have headliner, instrument panel foam, and armrest foam. So I got this from your report. Since the the start, now 18.5 million vehicles, a half a trillion soybeans, and 228 million pounds of carbon dioxide removed from the atmosphere, which is comparable to 4 million trees. You know, Debbie, you must have such sense of pride to know that you were a part of helping to make all that happen. Well, yeah, when you say it like that, I mean, I think I'm very good at, like, taking direction. It was Alan Mulally... When he was our CEO, he was walking through an atrium display here at the research lab, and he said to me, even if you start small, 
it'll add up because of our volume. <laughs> and so these calculations, which I did myself, when I'm, when I'm calculating the numbers, I'm always thinking of that advice that Alan gave us. Don't wait until the end game is over. Don't wait until you have the perfect material. Do what you can for the environment and let it add up. And, you know, the other aspect that we're super proud of is working with other industries to help them use soy foam. So if we can formulate with a soy foam mattress company or a furniture company, we'll do that because the volume will increase and the carbon dioxide spewed out into the atmosphere will decrease. And so that's, I'm proud to work for Ford more than anything that, you know, they care so much about doing the right thing. Oh, that's awesome. You've also been using natural fibers, a bunch of different kinds of fibers over the years in different parts or components of the car. You want to talk about Canaf? Yeah. So we started simply with wheat straw. I should mention wheat straw because I love to go in order of events. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and so this is after the food portion of the wheat is harvested in um, Canada too cold in some places where they grow wheat to actually compost a good portion back into the soil. So they get enough in to fertilize the soil, but a lot of times they'll just burn what's left to get rid of it. And so when I heard that, I was astounded that we create CO2 and we get no benefit. And, you know, I started to look for other places and we can talk about those. So we, we started taking wheat straw from 10 Ontario farms. And the cool thing about this story is the whole supply stream was located in Ontario. So we ground the fiber in Ontario, we compounded it with plastic, we made the bins for the Ford Flex and we assembled right in Ontario. And and it was an aha moment for our group because we were like, shouldn't we be doing this local sort of waste so you don't ship things all over? And so we've um, started other projects to sort of explore this area. And then we moved on to Canaf. Canaf um, was done with IAC, our, our uh, uh, door supplier. And instead of using PC ABS for the arm, the door panel, we switched to Canaf and polypropylene. And so we saved a significant amount of weight in that one, improved fuel economy, because the plastic we were using was a pretty high-density plastic. And then, after, so people initially said, well, you use wheat straw to replace talc, talc's low end, you're not going to be able to do um, like glass fiber. And so that's when we started working with tree fiber, um, cellulose, purified cellulose from tree fiber, and eventually replaced glass fiber in the Lincoln MKX for the armrest. We're super proud of that because everybody said, oh, fiberglass, you'll never replace fiberglass. Turns out you can with a, with a, tree fiber, um, significantly lower energy to process the material, lighter in weight, better for the planet. Pulp is not in high demand in North America anymore because um, people are using less paper. And um, so it was a really good solution for the pulp industry. So I've I've actually, and I, I don't know that you know this, but I've been involved in a couple of projects that were kind of Ohio-based on looking at natural fibers in with uh, uh, in a plastic composite, and one of the issues that came back was that there was an odor issue that it it smelled a little bit like burnt popcorn, and 
I was so frustrated by that because, you know, people have grown used to the smell, the new car smell, which are petrochemicals. And it's like, you mean we have to produce a petrochemical just so that we can, you know, change the smell so it smells like a new car? <laughs> so it, it, it kind of speaks to all of the different parameters that any new material needs to go through in order to uh, be utilized in a Ford car. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When we molded the wheat straw material, it turned out that the people in the plant actually liked that smell. It smelled a little bit like baking bread in the plant versus a very chemical sort of odor. So you're right. It's all about perception. Natural fibers have to be kept at a lower temperature when you're mold. We haven't quite figured out how to get it into nylon, which is a much higher uh, molding temperature, and the fibers tend to really get burned a bit, so you get a burned odor. But there are ways to to mitigate that. So cellulose from the tree fiber is a very pure cellulose. We removed all the stuff that tends to burn in injection molding, and there really isn't an odor issue in that case. So if you're going to be in interiors, you got to worry about odor, but under the hood, you really don't have to worry as much. Well, um, what about coconut fibers? Yeah, so we experimented with coconut fiber, and we actually put it into the um, trunk liner of the Focus battery electric vehicle. So it was one of our earlier battery electrics. So, you know, we still are messing around with it. We're trying it in hard injection molded plastics. It has a beautiful appearance. Doesn't it, 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 They're very long and sort of fuzzy fibers. I wish you could show you that. And the plastic takes on like a cocoa color. So I think it has really good potential for an appearance part that the customer can see. Um, right now, we can't pass impact properties with it. Mm-hmm. And so we're experimenting, continuing to make progress and how can we show off these beautiful natural fibers and still pass low temperature impact. I was really intrigued about how you use rice hulls with wire harnesses. Rice hulls, I had no idea rice was even grown in this country. That's how I continue to just keep learning and learning about agriculture from the laboratory setting here at Ford. And the rice hulls have a very high silicate content. And so they can go to pretty high temperature and they don't have these issues with burning. They also have pretty good stability as far as expansion and shrink. And so it is kind of the perfect place to put it under hood. So we're using it for wire harnesses. Right now we're replacing talc material with uh, rice hulls. We get a little bit of a weight reduction and better for the planet. And nobody really knows what to do with rice hulls. So here we are, you know, utilizing the first, the first one in industry. Yeah. Okay. So I, are there other materials that I'm not thinking of that you're using actively currently? Um, well, we just, just, just launched a cellulose hybrid material. And so in this case, this one was against all of my instincts, but it turned out to be the right thing to do. We were having trouble making a big part. So imagine between your seats, the whole big piece of plastic and the, that goes from the front to the back of the car where you put cup holders and bins right between you. Um, that's a big structural part. And we could not use a natural fiber because when we put the natural fiber material into the tool, 
it would shrink more and our part would come out too short. And so for years, we tried to figure out how to make the dimensions come out of injection molding process the right size. And finally, out of frustration, we said, let's throw a little bit of glass fiber in there, just enough to hold the dimensions. And it turned out it worked and it was genius because we can take advantage of a good portion of those of the weight savings on that part. And on the console that we're launching in Lincoln Continental and then um, migrating to F-150, we're going to save like a pound and a half on one part. And then over time, we will figure out how to get that glass out. So this is sort of the philosophy of take the baby steps, do everything you can um, that's robust to the customer, that's better for the planet, that you can afford to do, and then go back and do it again when the technology advances. So cool. So cool. So then you also have, I know that you're doing lots of research on other materials. Could you maybe talk a little bit about your work with algae? Yeah. So we started looking at algae, oh, probably five years ago, um, made some really interesting foams with them versus soy. So when you put soybean oil, hydroxylated soybean oil into a foam formulation, it makes the foam stiffer. Um, so that's why we can only incorporate about 12, 15, maybe up to 25% soybean oil. When we looked at algae, it made the foams softer and more flexible. And so the idea was even more like viscoelastic, like the type of mattresses that people like where you sink in and it sort of conforms to your body. That's what we got with algae, and we had no idea why. But our idea was why don't we combine the two and get to very high bio-based content and have two different bio-based materials. So that's kind of where we're going right now. Unfortunately, algae oil is being used for really high-end expensive cosmetics, so eye creams and such. And so we have a hard time getting hydroxylated material at prices that are affordable. Yeah, understood. But... Uh... But knowing that there is this demand or, or <clears throat> potential use uh, will certainly inspire entrepreneurs and, and other commercial interests to, to work with you to figure out how to produce algae at a scale that, that could provide these oils for you at a, at a price that's cost competitive. So in time. So what I love about algae and bamboo fiber is that they grow so darn fast. And so I always think of petroleum takes millions of years to form and then plants take months to grow and then algae and bamboo. Oh my gosh. So bamboo can grow like feet per day, certain varieties of it. And algae can multiply in its weight four times in a 24 hour period. So that alleviates all the constraints with where am I going to get my material? Right? That's why we love them. We love those two. That kind of leads me into the discussion of uh, the Bioplastic Feedstock Alliance and your work with the World Wildlife Fund and other collaborators, other members of, of that alliance. Share with our listeners a little bit about that work, if you can. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, we started talking to the World Wildlife Fund many years ago about um, our efforts in sustainable materials. 
And frankly, everybody was afraid of WWF because they hate big industry, right? They hate them. But it turns out they don't. <laughs> they really do want to work with us toward making an impact. So big corporations like Ford, when we take our corporate responsibility to be environmental seriously, we can make a huge impact. And so we started working with WWF on, you know, if we were going to use soy, how do we make sure that it's responsibly grown soy with the right fertilizers away from um, damaging the water? How do we pick suppliers of natural fiber that make sure that we're not having problems with labor, right? We don't have child labor, blah, blah, blah. Turns out that WWF has an enormous amount of expertise around these issues. And so we formed this bio, bioplastic feedstock alliance where lots of different companies like Coca-Cola, Nike, Lego um, are members. And you can look it up online to see who's a member of this um, consortium. But we would all talk about materials that we would like to use and how to make sure that we're actually benefiting the planet by using them. And World Wildlife Fund works with us to tell us what we need to look at, puts up the flags, like if you're going to uh, if you're going to utilize a bio feedstock, this country could be a problem. Whereas if you source it from another country, they grow much more responsibly, much more sustainably. So that's been a lot of fun too, because you can hear what other industries what types of materials they're interested in, and there may be some common interests. And a lot of our projects around utilizing each other's wrap materials off all have come from this organization. Yeah, cool. Well, thinking about fun, I, I can imagine the use of aguave fibers or, you know, working with Jose Soberto, Jose Cuevo, Jose Cuevo, there we go. Working with them and, and the tequila manufacturing would be kind of fun. Yeah, so I always make jokes that we're working to satisfy all of my vices. <laughs> and so my first vice is coffee. And we are looking at coffee ground waste in plastic materials. And we're looking at coffee tap in plastic materials. And both have promise for different types of bio-based materials. And then in the evening, I joke that I have tequila issue, that I enjoy margaritas. And um, so I was joking with some of the group members and said, you know, call up Jose Cuervo, just see if there's any interest in and what happens to the fiber. And it turns out they were thrilled to hear from Ford Motor Company. They are a family-owned business older than Ford. And so you have these two sort of family-driven businesses that are working together and trying to help each other solve problems. And so Jose takes these enormous piñas that take seven to nine years to grow. They're over, around 100 pounds. They squeeze it to get the lovely agave juice from it. And then the fiber is left over. And frankly, it's a problem for them because it's wet and it uh, attracts rodents and nobody knows what to do with it. And so we took some of that fiber and learned how to dry it and chop it. It's a very tough fiber and have been putting it into plastics. And we've had several trials, some of them happening down in Mexico to sort of have this circular economy thing, but trying to develop materials that would 
go on to our vehicles that are assembled there. And so, yes, with all the fun, we but we still, you know, have this objective to get this material in production. Well, Debbie, we've exhausted my list of topics, and I knew that there would be so much to talk about. Are there other things that, that we need to make sure we share with regard to renewable materials and some of these things? Um, all right, I guess I should, before we go, we should probably talk about dandelion roots and maybe tomato skins, you know, because I know that uh, you're doing some work with The Ohio State University on the potential use of a strain of, of dandelion that is an excellent source of natural rubber. Yes, and rubber has been an issue. It comes from plants in Asia, so the Havea rubber has been used in tires and lots of um, automotive components, steels on vehicles, uh, motor mounts, but it's not very sustainable, the rubber from Havea. And so they have blight issues. They have labor issues. There's always the threat of not being able to get rubber into North America. And we're so dependent upon it. And so, yes, we began exploring with Ohio State University looking at dandelion roots. Interesting story because it, the invitation to visit initially was given to Bill Ford, and he sent it to me through company mail. He's like, I'd like you to go and visit Ohio State. Um, OARDC and let me know what you think. And so we went out, we saw greenhouse after greenhouse and field after field of cultivated dandelions. Hard to wrap your head around, right? The thing that everybody hates is now being grown intentionally and the roots were massive. And, you know, you guys have been trying to figure out how do we get large amounts, big roots on a dandelion so that we can harvest the latex and make our own natural rubber. And so we've been, you know, sort of working with you to develop the material, the process, and, you know, should we put it into a TPO, an interior materials, a rubber modifier? Should we use it in tires, et cetera, et cetera. But it's pretty exciting to have something, um, and weird to have some, a plant that people don't admire all of a sudden, you know, become an important source for rubber. Well, just like Henry Ford brought soybeans to the United States, maybe he's going to bring, or maybe Ford Motor Company and his legacy will bring dandelions. Henry Ford was very frustrated during World War II. He almost had to shut down factories because of the fact that rubber was not easily obtainable during the war. Yeah, well, I've had uh, uh, some opportunities to work on that project. And, you know, for our listeners' sake, I'll, I'll pose, the, pose the question how do you control weeds in a dandelion field? <laughs> they were actually picking the other plants out from around the dandelions, believe it or not, the day we were there. All right. Well, um, anything else, Debbie? I just want to say that I am a firm believer that petroleum-based plastics have got to be wound down, right? From a sustainability standpoint, from a they last way too long in the environment standpoint, they break down into microplastics. We need to really start taking this seriously. And one way to, to do that, and the only way I know how, is to take these tiny baby steps, do what we can, keep making progress, and you know, help farmers in the meantime. These are all ways that we can have less waste and that they can generate more revenue 
um, which they desperately need. So it's really gratifying to be in this space with all the passionate people, like the people at Ohio State that are uh, trying to push this forward, because I think it is the future. Well, Debbie, thanks so much. Uh, we, we greatly appreciate your vision, your passion, your energy, your intellect, and your decision-making in terms of helping to make our planet more sustainable. And it's exciting to see the important work that's being done at Ford, and we appreciate your leadership. So, Thank you very much, Denny. I appreciate being on and talking with you today. Thank you for listening to BioBase Radio, and thank you to our guest, Debbie Molesky, for being on the show today. BioBase Radio is a production of the Bioproducts Innovation Center at The Ohio State University, produced in association with the United States Department of Agriculture, National Institute of Food and Agriculture. BioBase Radio is hosted by Denny Hall and produced and edited by Casey Needham and Brad Collins. If you'd like to help our podcast grow, plant a seed with a friend and rate and review on Apple Podcasts.